Thank you, Lord Jesus. God is so good, family. It's so good. It's there's something about the Lord that is so um we can be at peace in the most trying and difficult times. There is a peace that resides under it all, that undercurrent of peace that never goes. As long as we hold on to it, it's there. It doesn't get snatched out of our hands. It's only a matter of are we releasing it or are we holding it? Because he has it there and he never pulls it away. He wants us to reside in that place of peace. And we will. As much as he wants to change us, so this is the thing, we get so comfortable in the way that we are. And he wants to change us, day by day changing us. You know, we, we talk about Romans 8.28, how all things work to get together for the good of those who are called. And then, but we got to remember there's a verse 29 too. He wants us to be changed and conformed in his, into his likeness. We want to stay the same because we're comfortable. We've got this nice little like rut that we just kind of move back and forth. We never have to steer the wheel. We just move and coast. But he's trying to change us. That doesn't mean he's trying to hurt us. That doesn't mean that our peace is to be stolen. It means we allow him to change us as he carries us to that change. He moves us to that place when we allow him to do that. I've been thinking about change a lot because over the past month and a half, this Sunday today here marks six weeks since I've been here at Graceway. And I know that it's been a lot of changes for you, and I can promise you that it's been a lot of changes for me and, and my family. And I want to thank you, too, for um, just being so receptive to my family and I and, and embracing us and showing us, showing us the way of Graceway. It's been a blessing to us. And, and even though changes are challenging, they're not always easy, when we come together around the Lord, he makes it that much easier. He helps us. So I want to thank you for taking my family and I in and, and kind of making us part of the family. It's been a huge difference. We're, we're grateful for that. You know, last week we began talking about the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven. It's been, has been, retur- uh, it's been defined by one person as the realm where the will of God is reality. A lot of times we think about the kingdom of heaven, okay, the, the place of the kingdom of heaven. When we think about a place, we think about like a, a physical, like geographic location. Like you can open up a map and say, okay, yep, there's Providence, Rhode Island. There's Middletown, that's, that's my church right there on this map. And it's funny because with the kingdom of heaven, we're not talking about a, a physical location. We're not t- talking about a place that you can open up and like point to. It's something that is all around us. And when we come into relationship with the Lord, it's something that comes inside of us. It's this realm where the will of God is reality. And when we come under his submission, now we, we are we're supposed to be living in that place where the Lord shows us what he wants of us, and then we move. We respond. If we're living in that place where we're in, in submission to God, we're living in the kingdom of heaven. And really, this is something that was intended to be carried inside of us and not just stay here, 
Because if it's in me, then wherever I move, wherever I go, wherever I interact, I carry it with me. And others, while they may not live in that realm of the kingdom of heaven, they can experience it because it's in me. And when they interact with that realm, they get just a touch, just a taste of the kingdom of heaven. And once you've experienced and tasted the goodness of God, you just want more. You want more. The kingdom of heaven is funny. Um, I was listening to a message by Dr. Miles Monroe that some of you may or may not be familiar with. And he said, he was pointing out this fact. He said, you know, we talk about Jesus and all these things that he preached. And the truth is, if you look in the Gospels, Jesus really only preached like one core message, the kingdom of heaven. He didn't preach born again. He mentioned it. He had a conversation with it in private with one person, and that's all we read of it. He didn't preach deliverance. He just delivered people from demons. He didn't, he didn't um, preach healing. He simply healed people. He just did it. Actions speak louder than words, they say. You don't need to talk about it if you're going and doing it. It's kind of the same with our witness for the gospel, isn't it? He didn't even preach resurrection. He just resurrected. He just did it. The kingdom of heaven. This is what he talked about. And so there's, there's, a, there's a significance to this. If this is what he concentrated his, his message when he preached to the crowds, then there's something there that we need to be giving a, a place to. Last week we talked about the kingdom of heaven in Matthew 13, where Jesus compares it to a treasure that was hidden in the field with vast value, immeasurable value, that when a man stumbled upon it, so valuable was that to him that he ran away from it so that as fast as he could, he could give up his former way of life, sell everything he had worked for just to possess that field that had the treasure. Isn't that the perfect picture of repentance? When you get a glimpse of God, you just turn away from everything else because nothing is worth what this is, is worth. Today I want to talk uh, also from Matthew 13 in verse 33. This is a few verses before he talks about the hidden treasure. And he's, Jesus is comparing in this scripture, Matthew 13, 33, he's comparing the kingdom of heaven to yeast. Let's read it. Oh, we don't have it this way. It says this. Jesus told them another parable, and he said, The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour until it worked through all the, the dough. Read it one more time. The kingdom of heaven, the realm where the will of God is reality, it's like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour until it worked through all the dough. As you guys know, we're inching our way through the winter season here. I think we're about halfway through it, depending upon how accurate the gopher was. <laughs> uh, some of us are more familiar with the, se- the winter season as season of sickness, because between November and March, there's always random things coming in and out of the house, especially if you have kids or had kids, then you know, especially if they go to a daycare program, you're not getting through the winter without catching something. It's happening. We've had 
this winter has not been, well, Celia's like raising her eyebrows. She's dealing with something right now. She's fighting something. It hasn't been too bad this winter yet, though. We haven't had too much sickness. But you know what? The way that the infiltration usually begins in our home, one of the toddlers coming home from the daycare because they're constantly like drooling and snotting and sneezing all over themselves at the daycare. They share it all. <laughs> the teachers do a good job at teaching them to share. And then they bring it home with them. <laughs> and then the infiltration has begun. So day one, you see the drip. You see the slug hanging down on the upper lip of the little guy. A day or two later, the sister has it. Now they both carry it. A few days later, okay, now the, now the nine-year-old has it. And before you know it, that thing has sweeped through the entire house. That sickness, it, it had only one infiltration point, but we're in so close contact with one another, it doesn't stay where the infiltration started. That's just the beginning. <laughs> you know what's happening. Every time when we see them come home from daycare and they're sneezing, we say, oh, no. <laughs> There's only so much, you know, umka and elderberry that you can take to try to, like, boost up your, your, your immune system, and it, it, it only does so good. But, you know, I mention this because it's a similar concept to this yeast that Jesus is comparing the kingdom of heaven to. He said the kingdom of heaven is like yeast. You know, the fact that he compared the kingdom of heaven to yeast, just that comparison in itself is an odd thing. The reason for that is this. Yeast all throughout scripture, from the Old Testament right through to the New, yeast is used and, and spoken of symbolically as evil or as sin. For one example is Exodus 12:15. it says, "For seven days you are to eat bread made without yeast. On the first day, remove the yeast from your houses. Take it out of your houses completely. Whoever eats anything with yeast in it from the first day through the seventh must be cut off from Israel, like alienated from the nation. One example, all throughout Scripture, yeast is not a good thing. It's viewed as evil, especially in this way, the, fact, the way that it infects something. It starts with just a very small amount, and it spreads and reaches to impact many, many people, far beyond where it initially reached. It affects and changes everything that it comes in contact with. Now, this is going all the way back to, to creation. We know that when the Lord created the heavens and earth, he created it perfect and holy, untainted. And then in Genesis 2.17, we see the, where the uh, instruction from the Lord that says, you can eat anything, eat any tree, but you, may, you cannot eat the tree of the knowledge of good and evil because when you eat of it, you will certainly die. There is the warning. And so as soon as Adam and Eve together partook, there's the infection, contaminated. Perfect creation, contaminated. There's the yeast that came in. And through that contamination, it began to work its way out. We know the story of Cain and Abel, and the sin grew and increased, and consequences grew and increased. The small amount, that one act of eating that fruit, changed the world as we know it forever. Because sin is so contagious. To this day, it is contagious. It hasn't stopped, it hasn't stopped being contagious. Even when God implemented the sacrificial system with Israel to bring them into a, a, a relationship with him, there were certain things that they would need to go to to remain clean. 
There were many precautions that they always had to take. They had to always kind of be looking out. There were things that they were allowed to eat and remain clean and things that you, they could not eat because these things were unclean. They would make them unclean or, or sinful. There were things that they could not come in contact with. They couldn't touch physically, physical things they could not touch. There were even some behaviors, some things that they could not do and some other things that they had to do. And anytime someone broke one of these rules and, and became unclean, if they now came in contact with someone, that person would become unclean. Even items, items became unclean if they came in contact with these things. It spread. It's a sickness that infected everything. And when they became unclean, they remained that way for a particular period of time, depending on how, on, on how unclean they had become. What practice did they break? What action did they do? They remained unclean for a particular amount of time, and sometimes there was a, a ritual that they would have to go through to be made clean again and then come back into community and then relationship with God. So what you have is there's this constant, in the Old Testament, there's this constant caution against becoming unclean, against becoming infected by the environment. So it's, you're always kind of like this, like you're, you're watching out, you're on guard, you're on the defensive, trying to protect you're always living on the defensive so that you don't become alienated first from God, but even alienated from the community. Israel, people would be, have to become alienated from them if they were unclean. They couldn't physically come in contact because it would spread. It spreads. This is, what, this is how they use yeast to refer to, this uncleanness that would infect everyone. So they're always worrying, don't get contaminated. Don't become unclean. They're always on, on, on the alert. They're always on guard. Rather than being at peace, there are always these things you have to watch out for. And how effective is that really? Because we know that it infects all of us to one level or another, at one point or another. In Isaiah 64, it says, all of us have become like one who is unclean, and even our righteous acts are like filthy rags. So this is the way it was, even in the Old Testament. Now, what's interesting is this. Because of the condition of our society, the culture that we're living in right now, you know, there's, there's all this pressure for political correctness. You can't speak certain ways or use certain terms or even allude to them. We're living in this culture that is very secular and, and has an anti-God emphasis. Because of these types of things in the culture that we're living us in today, we too, God's church, has largely been living on the defensive, on the alert, staying away. There's a boundary here that we can't cross. We're existing quietly. Don't cause any ripples. Don't discuss religion or politics, they say, right? That's for, that's for just at home, and depending on who is, is there at the house. Don't appear intolerant. Just, you can be there, you can keep your tax-exempt status. You can kind of do your thing, but shh. Don't make any ripples in the community. Be quiet. Many of the churches, um, many of the people, I think, live in one of two ways. Either separated, believers live separated from our culture and our community that we live in in order to kind of keep safe, or... They live in such a way that their faith is in a compartment. And so when they go out into the culture and they go out into the community, they can close that 
compartment, keep it separate, and they can come over here and do their thing and mix and mingle in, in the community. And then they come back and they go to church or maybe their houses, and then they can pull that compartment back out and say, okay, now I can implement this. We live in one of these two ways. We completely separate ourselves, or when we engage, we leave the faith at home where society says it belongs. And because this is the state that we've been living in, what are we seeing now? Church attendance is dropping. It's on the decrease all over the place. The church relevance, how, how the community and the world is seeing the church is becoming more and more irreverent. irreverent um, irrelevant, excuse me. Well, irreverent too. <laughs> A lot of times, and this is the sad part because I've seen this even over the past decade of ministry here on Aquinnah Island. Most of the church's growth, any churches that are experiencing growth, people aren't being saved. It's transfer growth. Other churches are bleeding and dying, and the people that are left, the people that are leaving, they're just going to another church. So if you see churches growing, oh, yes, it's exciting. Oh, wait, no, nobody accepted the Lord? Oh. This is what we're seeing because we're living in this weakened state. We're living with this Old Testament mentality, keep, keep things away, keep things apart. We have to, we have to keep a, a healthy boundary here. Even this idea of uh, the separation of church and state first instituted and spoken of by, by Thomas Jefferson. This is something that was meant to protect the church from infiltration of the government so the government doesn't get, doesn't get his hands in the workings of the church. And now what we've seen because of our culture, that's flipped on its head. Now society uses it to keep church out of any state programs, to keep God and any kind of biblical principles and practices out of anything related to, to community, government, state programs. And so we see, we see these two things happening. We see the things of the world, the state, the community over here. This is secular. This is other than God and faith. And then over here we have this whole, these are the things of God. This is church. This is faith. This, these are the holy and sacred things. The two separate things and they can, must not be mixed. And if they, if they become mixed, what happens? Well, the yeast infects things like sin, like evil. And so if this secular comes in contact with the faith, it's going to mix in and taint it all. So anything good that we, we have here is now subject to the things of the world. It's going to be taken over by these evil ways, evil mentalities, practices, whatever you want to call it. So there's this general feeling, and this is between Christians and non-Christians alike. Don't mix the two. There's a place for sacred, there's a place for holy, and there's a place for the world and the things of the world. There's a place for culture, and it's two separate places. Don't, don't confuse them. Don't pull them together. This mentality that we're living in is the Old Testament mentality because sin is going to infect us, and we can't become unclean. We can't become mixed together with this secular stuff that's no good. And yet here, today, we talk about Matthew 13, 33, where Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven is the yeast. Something's changed here. He's turned something around somehow, some way. See, this would have caught the attention of his listeners because as they had read the scriptures and heard them read in the synagogues, 
as they had heard the teachers reference the Old Testament teachings, they hear about yeast, and, and they know what that reference is. Watch out. Be on guard. Be on the defensive. This is what it would mean to them. And now all of a sudden, when they hear, they say, wait, wait, the kingdom of heaven, that's the yeast? This is the infecting agent? So what they were hearing is that the kingdom of heaven, the realm where the will of God is reality, that realm is infectious and spreads far beyond its reach. They were hearing that the kingdom went from something to chase after and be pursued. Now the kingdom became the thing that was doing the pursuing, infiltrating the very place where Jesus stepped, infiltrating the very place where the will of God becomes reality. He's flipping the whole idea on its head. He's saying that the kingdom of heaven is the change agent that is meant, intended to be mixed into all the parts. So instead of sacred being separate from secular, sacred now invades the secular. This is what Jesus is teaching. We need to stop living with this Old Testament mentality when we're living in the world where Christ has already come and done all the work. Anything that, that was going to infect us and taint us has already been wiped away. There's no barrier. The barrier has been torn down. It's such a hard thing to grasp because we're so hardwired sometimes to protect, to keep things separate and keep it out of the way. But Jesus himself was the first one to be accused of spending time in the sinner's den spending time with those people that were unrighteous and wanted nothing to do with God. And yet, this is where he spent his time. This is, this, it, it seems, as you read through the Gospels, this is where he was most comfortable. Because the kingdom of heaven isn't meant to remain where it first infiltrated. Where something infiltrates you, that's a, that's a beginning point. That's a starting point. That's not the end. He said, it's, the kingdom of heaven is like yeast that is mixed into the dough. That's a starting point. And from that starting point, it goes outward. Why, why would Jesus spend all of his time with these people that were considered sinners and separated from God, these people that were considered unclean to the religious people? Because the kingdom of heaven is the infecting agent. We no longer live on the defensive today. We live on the offensive the kingdom of heaven residing in us is, is eager to burst out. It can't stay stagnant because if it does, it's only dying. You know, they say everything is always changing. It's dying or it's getting stronger. Far be it from us to allow the kingdom of heaven, those seeds that have been planted in us, allow them to die because we stifle them out. Let it burst forth and come out of you the way that he is trying to let it, hap- let it do. It does the work for you. Just follow it. Release yourself into that. We don't live on the defensive anymore. We are meant to be mixed in. We're meant to be mixed in. That's something that can get us a little bit nervous because what's going to happen when we mix in? But you know what we can say to that? Whatever the Lord wants to happen. I'm not him. He's going to do what he does. He says the kingdom of heaven is, the, is doing the infecting. That's the one causing the change, not me. 
I'm just allowing the kingdom of heaven to touch every place that I go, to speak to every person that I interact with them. Let them experience the kingdom of heaven in you, and then let God take care of the rest. It's simple. We can't overcomplicate things. Be who God has created you to be and be who he is forming you into and let him do the rest. It's not something we really have to think about. It's just something we have to let go and allow it to happen. He's, Jesus has altered the way that we see and interact in our world with that one act of reckless love. He took away the sin that made us unclean, that kept us in fear and on the defensive for all of our existence since that first infiltration of sin, since that first contamination. Now, with Jesus' death and resurrection, he's made us holy. 1 Peter 2.9 says this, You are a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of the darkness and into his wonderful light. He has made us holy. And he didn't stop there because he has also given you his spirit as a seal, as a deposit upon you, claiming, showing the ownership. In Ephesians 1.13 it says, When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit, guaranteeing our inheritance. Jesus has made us holy. Jesus has given us his spirit as a deposit. And there's more. He has given and planted his kingdom within you. That's the starting point. The contamination has begun. Don't try to treat it so it goes away. Don't try to take any kind of medicine to stifle it. Let it be. See what ways you can stir it up and foster growth. You know, farmers are always looking for ways to grow better vegetables, bigger, faster, more crops. How can you stir up the kingdom of heaven within you and foster more growth? Search for ways to let it expand outside of you so that it infects everything that it comes in contact with. We don't live on the defensive family, and this is what I want you to take with you as you leave this place today. We do not live on the defensive Don't always walk around with this guard because the Holy Spirit is your guard. You move freely in that place. He has set up a boundary around you, protecting you. He has, the Holy Spirit in you is your discernment to to give you a check in your spirit when something's wrong. He's going to guide you and show you where, where do you need to tweak your actions or your speech? What do you need to do? But don't stop yourself short from getting to that point where he's going to have to give you counsel. Because sometimes we, we want to stop our own selves because, oh, if I'm in that situation, I'm not quite sure how I should respond. He'll tell you. He even said, he said, don't worry about what you're going to say when you come before the, the government and, and, and the politicians and these things. He'll show you. Don't let him, don't make him tell you something before you do it. Do as much as you know to do. Let the kingdom expand. And then he's going to show you which way to go. He's going to tell you how he wants to expand it, where he wants to go and move. Some of the things he's doing as the kingdom expands outside of you, you'll be totally oblivious of. You won't even be aware of. But a lot of those things you are going to be aware of. You're going to see them happening. And once we take that one step of faith and we begin to see things start to shake up and start to churn, it's going to make us hungry for more. It's not something to be afraid of. It's something to be excited about. Jesus has put us on the offensive, and that's the place where we're supposed to live. 
We don't live on the defensive. The Holy Spirit of God is living in me. Are you kidding me? I'm not going to shrink back from anything. Look at, look at the way David responds when threatened by Goliath. When he comes out to that battlefield in 2 Samuel, and he sees the entire army of Israel shaking in their boots, and he looks over and sees why this daunting figure standing off in the distance. He said, what? what but you, our God, what? We, we don't rest, that's not, he, uh, really? Like, I, I don't even know how to articulate that. Like, he couldn't even understand. Like, do you know the God that we serve? How dare you shrink back? What, I, I don't understand the frame of mind you have shrunken into. We don't live on the defensive. Our God has made the way. Walk into it. And so he stood up and he took that battleground in front of Goliath. And as soon as Goliath saw him, and finished his laughing fit, he began to run and charge at David. And I don't know if you've ever been in such a situation where you see something that's scaring you off there in the distance. The closer it comes to you, you thought it scared you at first? It gets bigger and scarier the closer it comes. And if we stop and just stand there and watch it coming closer, it gets scarier and scarier, and we procrastinate, we wait, we say, oh, the Lord's going to fight this battle for me. There's a work to be done, people. The kingdom of heaven's in you. We need to move in that. As that thing that's scaring you comes closer and closer, don't procrastinate. Move. David didn't allow himself to stand there and wait for Goliath to get close enough. It says in 2 Samuel that as soon as Goliath began to charge at him, David took up his sling and charged right back. Don't think about the consequences. Know the God you serve. Don't stop the kingdom of heaven from advancing because I'll tell you this. No one outside of you can stop it from advancing. Only you can do that. Far be it from us to be the ones that stifle out the growth of the kingdom in this world. We've been planted here to be the change. Don't stop it because only you can do that. Once it gets outside of you, then it's in the Holy Spirit's hands. The Bible says that it's the Holy Spirit that convicts people and shows them that Jesus is the Son of God. The Holy Spirit does that. All we need to do is release the Holy Spirit outside of us. Let the kingdom expand and do what it does We do not exist in a weakened state. We exist in an empowered state on the offensive. Live like it. We've got to live like it, people. We've got to reflect Christ. Christ did not shrink or cower to fear. He ran at it head on. We can't hide from culture and community. Just because sin is present there, yeah, things are going to get a little bit messy. I might even trip up, as a matter of fact. That's not enough reason to stop. That's not enough reason to stop the mixing. Mix in. Remember always that the kingdom of heaven is within you, that yeast is within you, and our role is to mix it in. He's saying, our job, the kingdom is the yeast, and the woman is the one who comes and mix it into the whole batch of dough. That's our work. That's our role. The role of the mixing. Mix it in, fold it in, engage. Don't try to cut it off and, oh, ooh, the yeast touched the dough. Let me kind of cut this off and kind of keep it separate here. That's not our job. Our job is to knead it into the whole batch. This is what we do. Jesus told the disciples in Acts 1.8, he said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. He's telling them when the Holy Spirit comes on you, at Pentecost, 
that that's going to give you the power to be my witnesses. Everywhere you go, the infecting agent. And now upon our salvation, the Holy Spirit is residing in us, and he's asking us to do the same. He might not send us physically to the ends of the earth, but he's asking us to bring the kingdom of heaven everywhere that we walk. Everywhere that we place our foot, the realm where the will of God is reality, touches the earth. Let's not hold it back. That's not our role. We're here to be a change agent and move with the Holy Spirit as he moves us. The kingdom of heaven is constantly expanding. It's increasing. It's impacting this world. And on an individual basis, we are the only one that can stop that. Don't let it be you. Don't let it be you. When you're feeling threatened or fearful, you see whatever your Goliath is and it's starting to chase at you, don't think about it. Give it to the Lord and chase it down. Go after that thing with all that you are and watch and see how God crushes that thing before it even gets anywhere in your reach. He will handle the battle. It's his. We just let the kingdom thrive. Let it happen. Let it exist and let it expand outside of you and do the work of the mixing. Let's mix it in. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you so much for your goodness, Lord, that you have not only made a way for us to come back to yourself, but you've put your very spirit into our beings, Lord. You've deposited your spirit into our being, God. Yeah, as a deposit, as a seal of that, that we are your children. But even more than that, your spirit doesn't just exi- exist and just kind of sit and just, just chill in a place. Wherever your spirit is, there is power. Where your spirit is, there is boldness. Where your spirit is, there is a contagious agent, a changing agent. Father, I pray that you would awaken and renew and strengthen your spirit within us, God. I pray that you would give us the strength, Lord Jesus, to be in submission to you in every way in our hearts, that you would have completely sit on the throne of our hearts, Lord, that you wouldn't share authority in our hearts between our own selves and you. No, no, you don't share that throne. That's yours. Give us the strength to follow in submission to everything that you would ask of us. And as we move in that way and your kingdom in us strengthens, becomes more firm and established in our heart, we will carry that kingdom everywhere that we go. We will allow the yeast of your kingdom to move and flow freely in our homes and infect that place. We will do the work, Father God, of of, of kneading in and mixing in the kingdom of heaven into our children's schools and into our workplaces. No longer will we sit on the defensive and sit, be sit quiet, but no, we will live out your principles and your practices wherever you carry us. We trust you, Holy Spirit, to take it from there. Give us the faith to just move and trust you with the rest. Move and trust you with the rest. Just move and trust him with the rest. We love you, Lord Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.